Thank you for downloading this podcast from Emmanuel Church Lurgan. At Emmanuel, our vision is to help rewrite the story of Craigavon, Ireland and the nations with the good news of the Kingdom of God. We hope you enjoy listening to this message. excited about this new theme, excited about um, Advance. I'm loving this graphic. I've said this to you, but um, and this morning we obviously want to continue on. We'll be working on this right through to um, Christmas time. It feels like the cloud has shifted. We mentioned this over the last couple of weeks, and, and um, we're shifting with it, obviously, shifting following God and following His presence. That's what we want to do, and we mightn't be sure, maybe just exactly yet where we're going, but... Um, uh, the Lord, I have no doubt, is, is, is opening up opportunity for us and um, into uh, what we believe is a deeper inheritance. I'm starting in Warwick's sticker here, sticking to my shoes. Um, but uh, and we believe it's a karyos moment. You know, that sort of, it's not chronos time, which is chronological time, but the karyos time is that specific moment. And we believe we're in a karyos time where the world might look doomed, uh, we do feel that the Spirit of the Lord is calling us to believe for an opportunity of significant renewal. Um, I, I love what Chris said. If you were here on Wednesday night at the prayer meeting, Chris um, gave a little word, and he said this, and I, I jotted this down. The world has exhausted itself to the point that it can't sort out its own problems. So what if we are in miracle territory? I love that. <clears throat> what if we are in miracle territory? And the Lord... Um, knows that, um, and the world doesn't know it, but they need the church because the church is the hope of the world. And um, the words of Leonard Ravenhill feel pretty apt at this moment that the opportunity of a lifetime needs to be seized during the lifetime of the opportunity. So we need to work. We need to work while it is still day because the night is coming. And there's a moment of opportunity in front of us. There's no doubt about that. And um, so our short-term vision is to position ourselves in such a way that we will listen to God and to listen also to the brokenness of our community and uh, that we might receive the dreams and visions that God wants us to do long-term. I said this last week that Joel 2 says, in the last days, there will be dreams and visions from old men and young men and old women and young women, and so this, this, is, this is prophetic, this is the time. And so as we move into the next number of weeks, we're going to be teaching on the, the theme of the kingdom of God. And uh, we want to ensure that we're hearing from God in this because there are some twisted ideas as to what the kingdom of God is, and so we want to stay true to the Bible, and that we want to be true to the, the word of God, and ultimately as followers of Jesus, we want to see his kingdom come. Um, and this is what Jesus actually taught his followers to pray. This is what he said in the Lord's Prayer. He said, when you pray, it's okay to pray. Let your kingdom come and be on earth as is in heaven. Or our key text on our advanced theme, which is up uh, just under the word advance, uh, which is Matthew 6, 33, seeking first the kingdom of God. And the, it goes on to say, and his righteousness. And then all of these things will be added Onto us. It's a very powerful thing. What Jesus is promising is that if we seek first the kingdom, everything else sort, sorts itself out. That's basically what he's saying. And yet, so often I think we're not really dead sure what the kingdom of God is. Like if I were to ask 
everybody in the room today what the kingdom of God is, I would get a myriad of answers, maybe most of which wouldn't be wrong. But we did this way back one time. We did this with our discipleship thing. What did everybody think discipleship was? We asked this to our elders and, um, and to our staff and to our board and people like that. And we got all different answers and we had to sort of collate to think, what really is discipleship? And so the same would probably play out for this, that if we asked us, and we often talk about the kingdom of God and we sing about it, but don't really understand what it is. At best, we probably think it's putting God first, it's reading the Bible, um, making sure we pray, um, going to church and trying to be the best you can, all of which is actually very good. But so often we don't really get into the teachings of Jesus to see what the essence and the DNA of the kingdom really is. And again, I said there's so many distorted versions of the kingdom of God today that it's imperative that we get the grips with it in a spirit-led and directive way. So we're going to be talking about this over the next few weeks. We're going to take three weeks on the kingdom of God and uh, to explore this. And then we will move into focusing on Matthew 13, which is a, a myriad of examples of what the kingdom of God really is. But this morning, what I wanted to do was I wanted to just give you a broad brush stroke um, uh, vision of the kingdom of God right through the Bible, all right? So buckle up, all right, because going, we're going on a bit of a journey, and we're actually going to go from the very beginning of the Bible to the very end of the Bible in the next 20 minutes, all right? So that's why I had to go home and change my shirt, all right? So 20 minutes, we're going to go. Here we go. We're going to go. We're going to start at Eden. That's in the very first chapters of the Bible, and in the beginning of the Bible, we're presented with a vision of God who... who uh, in Eden, displayed his rule and reign on earth. Basically, that's what the kingdom of God is. It's a picture of the shalom of God, peace and human flourishing, God and humankind interlocking in a, in a oneness, coming together as one. It's a, Eden is a physical place um, symbolizing the marriage of heaven and earth. Basically, that's what it's, it's the inter It's the interlocking of like two space-time realities. It's heaven and earth becoming one, all right? And God created Eden and placed humankind in it, Adam and Eve, to enjoy it, to reflect his glory and to be his image bearers, made in the image of God. But he also gave them a vocation. He gave them a vocation to rule and to steward um, this good creation so that they might fill the earth. So his, his word to them was to be fruitful and to multiply. They were to fill out this place, multiply my blessed presence through the earth. So it seems that Eden was contained in some shape or form, and their job was to spread it. Their job was to spread the presence of God throughout the whole, the whole world. And the author wants us to realize this. Moses, who was the author of this, he wants us to realize it was part of God's plan to extend Eden throughout the whole earth. Essentially, God wanted his loving rule and reign to fill the whole earth and heaven to be expressed on earth, and he delegated stewardship of that to his image bearers, to people that he created just like him. Now, what happened was, um, in chapter 3 of Genesis, sin enters the world. We have the serpent who um, beguiles the woman, who then, um, the man is downright disobedient, eats of the fruit, um, and in doing so, they essentially were choosing their own rule and reign rather than trusting the Father 
And, and so with this, the poison of sin entered the world. Sin entered the world, and everything went south at that. The, 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 these people who were, who were called to steward life and, and multiply blessing began to carry decay and death in their bones instead. So instead of passing down blessings, they were passing down death and decay. And uh, it's pretty brutal. And in short, humankind became more interested in building their own kingdoms rather than God's. And in the early parts of the Bible, this, this, just, got, this just got worse. So for instance, when you go to Genesis 9, you've got the flood. And at the flood, God makes this statement that he actually regretted that he never made man in the first place. And so he makes this pact with Noah and his family, and he just wipes the world out. Pretty incredible. Then in Genesis 11, it's replenishing. We've got Nimrod rising, and he starts to build the Tower of Babel, and Babylon is born. And so all of these are just examples of, of people wanting to build their own kingdoms. So with sin entering the world, everybody just wanted to build their own kingdom. In Genesis 12, we come on this guy here, this guy called Abram. And um, God appeared to him, and, and it, it, we know by this story that God hasn't given up on his dream. We might think that the dream has perished, but God hasn't given up on his dream. And he begins a process through Abram and his descendants. And he appears to this old man who really isn't anything special except that he has an available heart uh, with a plan for universal redemption. It's pretty awesome. And so in Genesis 12, he says this. He says to Abram, go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land I will show you, and I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. Notice what's happening here. God is reformulating his plan for the blessing of the whole earth. He's still, he's still in plan A. He's not jumping to another plan. He's still back in his original plan. God has still a dream to fill the earth, and he doesn't want to do it outside partnership of his image bearers. It's absolutely incredible when you, when you see this. So despite the rebellion of humankind, God still wants this to happen, and he narrows his focus now on a particular man um, with a particular people who will come from this man, Abram. And through Abram with his own descendant, God wants to see nothing less than the reality of heaven coming to earth. I'm going to say that a lot. God's still looking to interlock these two space times, interlock heaven with earth. Now, the rest of the Old Testament really is the story of how this plan unfolds. And I'm just going to pick out a couple of parts of the story to emphasize the point. But I'm saying this again. God has always wanted heaven and earth to be joined in a holy union. So, down a generation or two, we get this guy, Jacob. He's the grandson of Abram, and um, he was a man called of God. He was a bit of a crook, actually, but even so, he was chosen by God to be the channel of blessing that one day um, would come through him. And one day, he was on the run from his brother, and uh, he lay down to, to sleep, put a stone down for his pillow, and here's what happened as he slept. It says he had a dream. And in this dream, he saw a stairway resting on earth. It's interesting to note the wording, resting on earth with its top reaching to heaven. That's important. So this ladder touched heaven and it touched earth, all right? And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it, and there above it stood the Lord. He said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abram, the God of Isaac, 
and I will give you and your descendants a land in which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south, and all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. Do you notice it? Heaven and earth overlapping. We've got it again. This time, the dream of a ladder connecting the two, showing the activity of divine beings between heaven and earth. This is still God's dream. It hasn't changed from Eden, as you can see. Now, if Jacob is going to be the channel of God's blessing, he needs to understand that his life's call is going to be the joining of heaven and earth together, bringing God's loving rule and reign onto the earth. Now, we know this. Um, Jacob's name was changed. God changed his name to Israel. And his 12 sons became the 12 tribes of Israel. And 400 years later, they found themselves in Egypt under a tyrant of a ruler called Pharaoh. And on the surface, it looks like God's promise to Abram is dead and gone, but God hasn't forgotten. And through an encounter with Moses, I'd love to go into all this story in detail, but through an encounter with Moses, we see that his desire, not just for Abram's descendants, the Israelites, but more for this desire for heaven to come down to earth. And we read that he has an encounter with Moses at a burning bush in Exodus 3, and this is what happens. This is what God says. I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. I'm concerned about their suffering. Look, so I have come down. I love that. I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. God wants to bring heaven to earth. He wants to bring heaven to come to slaves. Isn't that incredible? He wants, he wants heaven to come to slaves, the least and the broken. So long story short, um, God brings them out of Egypt through the Red Sea into the wilderness where God calls these descendants of Abram together and constitutes them into a nation. And so the nation of Israel is born. Now in Exodus 19, we, we read how God is getting them ready to come down again. And he's on a mountain and he's about to meet with his people, a sign of itself that God again is wanting to connect heaven to earth. This is the story. This is the kingdom of God. And so here's what happened. God wants his people to be his own treasured possession, he says, so that they might be the kingdom of priests and a holy nation to the whole earth. Now, if you could put wow after a verse, I would put wow in there, all right? Like there's these verses when you read them. I was saying in the first service that I find myself reading this stuff, studying this stuff, and in my study, I have to just go for a walk in the park to let this dissolve in my spirit and to think, it's like doing, it's like billiards running around my head. And I think, because this, this, these weren't a special people. Actually, if you read Deuteronomy 7, you'll find they were the smallest and least nation of them all. But God actually set his love upon them. This is how the kingdom works. It moves in the least. It's a kingdom that is opposite to the world's kingdoms, which are built in power and greed and oppression. And these slaves are going to become a nation of priests, God says. Now, what do priests do? Priests are supposed to be the contact between the hand of a loving father and the hand of a broken community. That's what priests do. And these, these people who help steward the, the loving rule and reign of God on earth, and here it is again, a vision of, of heaven and earth overlapping and interlocking. And if you, if you study the Old Testament, you just find this 
I could go over and over the tabernacle, for instance. He gets him to make a tabernacle. What for? That he may come down and live amongst his people. God is always seeking to live amongst his people. It's his dream. It's his A dream. It's not his B dream. It's his A dream. And it runs right through the Bible. Now, um, unfortunately, the story of Israel is one long story for the most part of them getting it wrong. And the next book's of the Old Testament tell us the story of how Israel wanted their own king and their own kingdom. And this is why Samuel got so upset because God said to them, if you get a king, then what's going to happen? They're just going to run you down. They're just going to rule over you and build their own kingdoms, not my kingdom. But God allows them to choose their kings, warning them what will happen, and bar a couple of exceptions like David and Hezekiah and Josiah. For the most part, the kingdom of Israel becomes the opposite of the kingdom of God. It doesn't reflect the loving rule and reign of God at all. It reflects a projection of selfish man-made desires. Enter the prophets. Now, some of you have been telling me about trying to read Jeremiah and saying it was like trudging through mud. The reason being is these prophets were sent with the message of God to warn the people that they were just doing it wrong. And so that's why the prophets are a bit doom and gloom because they're, they're, telling, they're telling the people that God's heart is broken. The prophets are saying, you're messing up God's dream. God's dream is wanting to come down, but you always want to put somebody else in his place. He wants to be your king, but you want an earthly king. He wants to be this, but you want something else. And the prophets then are writing this. They're saying, they're, they're saying you're just getting it wrong. And bars, maybe prophets a little bit like from Isaiah 40 on, where there's a little bit of hope, and Isaiah actually prophesied that the nation would become a light to the nations. And I love the one in Isaiah 43 that says, remember not the former things, behold, I do a new thing. So Isaiah is actually starting to look ahead and saying, something new can happen. Something new can come out of this. And so ultimately, while there's some bright spots through it, by the end of the Old Testament, the dream of God is hanging by a thread. It's hanging by a thread, and the children of Israel ultimately fail in their calling. Now, 400 years of silence happened, um, the Old Testament done now, 400 years of silence then happened after the book of Malachi, and, and though the Spirit of God begins to move again, and we find out in Matthew that the Spirit of God is overshadowing the womb of a teenage girl with the promise that God had given to Abraham. And he's now revealing it in a little baby and a little embryo growing in the womb of a teenager called Mary. And so enter Jesus on the scene. Jesus comes and he's the one who fulfills the original promise that God gave to Abram, who embodies it in flesh and blood, all the promises and prophecies connected to Israel. Jesus, the ultimate king of Israel, the ultimate prophet, even greater than Moses, the ultimate king, even greater than David. And this Jesus comes proclaiming the kingdom of God that was announced in Eden. He's coming, saying, he comes revealing that this is God's dream for heaven and earth. This is still God's air dream to overlock and interlap and make a connection between heaven and earth. And he becomes our mediator. He becomes the only one and the only way that we can get to heaven. It's pretty awesome. And so the, the, the glimpse of Eden is now a reality and is present and available. And I love this verse in, in John 1, 
where he's talking to Nathaniel and he's prophesying that he saw Nathaniel sitting under a fig tree. And Nathaniel's saying to Jesus, that's pretty cool. How did you know I was sitting in a, under a fig tree? And, and Jesus says, in verily I true you, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angel of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And Jesus is saying explicitly here, because Nathaniel would have known this language. He would have known the story of Jacob's ladder, it would be intertwined in his theology. And so Jesus is saying, why Jacob's ladder is such a part of your story, I am that ladder, I am that reality, I am the one who is bringing heaven and earth. And so Jesus came, and he came declaring that the kingdom of God is among you. He came talking about the kingdom of God being at hand. Jesus talked about the kingdom a lot. It was his mission, the theme of his coming and the kingdom of God was central to the mission. His teaching was designed to show men and women how they could enter this kingdom. And essentially, Jesus was saying a whole new radical availability to the kingdom is here because the king of the kingdom has actually come to earth. This is pretty cool. He was introducing the kingdom of God. In fact, he was giving his introductory speech. Um, you know, when a a politician takes office and um, they give you, or the president becomes a new president and they give you their, their speech, they give you what they're going to do in their time of office. Well, Jesus is a, like a government manifesto. Jesus actually arrives in the synagogue on the Sabbath day. He has handed a scroll from Isaiah 61, and this is recorded in Luke chapter 4, and Jesus gives his manifesto. He says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoner, recovery of sight to the blind, and to set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the tent and sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened in him. And he began to say to them, listen to this. Today, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. I'm the one. This is my manifesto. I am the king and I am coming. This is my, this is my introductory speech to you. This is what I'm going to do in my term in office. And here's the cool thing. He's still in office. So this is the manifesto of the kingdom. If he is the king and he's saying this is what we do, then we are his subjects, so we do the same. So you want to know how to make the kingdom of God available, you just do what the king does. He hasn't changed his rule and reign. He is here and he's here to stay. He's the same yesterday, today, forever. He is the king. This is the manifesto of the government of heaven revealed to us in Luke chapter 4. And he's teaching you about the kingdom this way. And I, I'm, I'm trying to help you understand that the kingdom of heaven had existed prior to the coming of Jesus a long, long time. It's just that people had done such a poor job understanding it and reflecting it that no one really knew what the kingdom was. Now just think about that statement and think about how relevant that is for today. The world has no idea that the kingdom of heaven is here. The governments of this world have no idea at this moment in time. They're, they're, the world is in miracle territory, as Chris said, and they have no idea how to get out of this mess. But 
the, the kingdom of God knows. Jesus was essentially saying, now the kingdom is here because I'm here and I am the kingdom. And the exact representation of God was, was being made manifest through Jesus and a whole new level of accessibility to that kingdom has come in the person of Jesus' life here on earth. And when we see Jesus, we look how he lived, we look how he loved, we look what he taught, we look, who he, we look at who he it with how he did friendship, the way he wept with those who mourned, how he raised the dead and healed the sick. This is the kingdom of God. The kingdom is Jesus, and the cross and the resurrection were just the culmination of what the kingdom of God was really like. They revealed the glory of God that what God was really like was sacrificial love. It's just opposite to the world system, and it was also a place where Jesus dealt with the power of the kingdom of darkness, draining the power of the kingdom of darkness once and for all with the power of the kingdom of God unleashing it on humanity. Now, with three or four minutes left, here's where we're going now. Enter the church. Enter the church. So it was the kingdom message which conferred to the apostles and to the church. And what happened was Jesus is going back home, Matthew 28, the Great Commission, and he says, all authorities have been given to me, and he says, now I am delegating it. Now go you. He's delegating the authority of, that's given to him back into his image bearers, back into you and me. And so in Acts, we see the church proclaim Jesus. Jesus had become the content of the kingdom message. And as the church began to understand the implications of the life of Jesus, the apostles began to teach the church that one day, because of the cross, everything would be made new. And Paul takes up his pen in Colossians 1. Sorry, this is a little bit lengthy, but let me read it to you. But it's, it's a most incredible passage, um, Colossians 1, um, starting at verse 15. And it says this. It says that the Son of God is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. I'll, I'll point out some little statements for you. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things. This is Jesus. He is in all things. And in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all, all the fullness of God dwelt in him. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things in earth, here, things in heaven, by making peace through the blood. Do you heaven and earth coming together again? And Jesus is the one that brings these two space times together. God is, Jesus is the one that brings these two kingdom interlocking. This is dream A. God's dream has just come alive. And of course, even what happens is, this is a story that we are part of, and we are the living um, manifestation of this and, and here's the cool thing here's the cool thing you'd be glad to know at, at the end of this marathon here's Revelation 21 alright it went from Genesis 1 here's Revelation 21 it even tells us how it's going to pan out we know the end of the story and John the revelator says I saw a new heaven and new earth for the first heaven and the first earth are passed away and there was no longer any sea and I saw the holy city the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from among the throne, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. This is plan A. 
This is what God was doing in Eden. He was coming down to be with his people. It's been his plan all along. For 6,000 years now, he has been connecting earth to heaven, heaven to earth. This is the most incredible thing. And when the end comes, he says, he will be among his people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. And he'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning, crying or pain for the old order of things have passed. Here we see the end of all things. Heaven and earth will unite and God will dwell amongst his people. It's not so much us leaving earth as God coming and dwelling amongst us. Pretty cool, isn't it? And so from the beginning to the end, we see that God always wanted heaven and earth to be one. And this, in essence, is the kingdom message. The kingdom message. If somebody asks you, what is the kingdom of God? What is it? It's just God's dream to bring two kingdoms into one. God's, king, God's dream to make heaven and earth interlock and overlap in such a way. And how do we do that as a church? Well, we just become more and more like Jesus. That's why he tells us we're heirs of God, joint heirs with Jesus Christ, God's loving rule and reign manifested on earth through those made in his image. This is the longing of God to become more like his son. How do you do that? Just follow his manifesto. Just read Luke 4. And do what he done. That's how we become more like him. Go to the poor. Heal the sick. Look after the broken. It's, it's, it's the simplest thing. Salvation, you see, is the center. Sometimes we get so interlocked in salvation. And if we just have a salvation theology, instead of a kingdom theology, we just think some are going to heaven and some are going to hell. But you see, salvation is the center, but the kingdom is the circumference. And Jesus always talked about the kingdom of God. He talked about the big picture. And Jesus is the king. And we need to respond in fresh surrender to the kingship and lordship of Christ. And that's why in our advanced slide, we said, seek first the kingdom of God. That's how you do it. That's how you live as kingdom people. You seek first the kingdom. Kingdom people seeking first, laying hold, entering in, praying in, receiving, valuing, encountering, sheltering. We are the church. And Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell cannot and will not prevail against it. So we're not this little weak thing hiding in, in terror of the enemy waiting for Jesus to come back and take us all home out of the mess. That's not the church. The church is an army. It's advancing. It's moving forward. It's taking ground. It's taking hold. The enemy is the one on the run because he knows he's doomed. And he knows his time is short. The Bible tells us that. And it says, even the very demons in hell believe and tremble. So listen, folks. We don't have to take on the shame and guilt of the world. They're just filthy lies and tools of the enemy. When he, when he tells you you're not good enough and you're, 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 you're there doing a better job than you or they're better than you or you're too this or you're too that, when he puts that nonsense on you, it's just lies and filth of the enemy. You are a son, you are a daughter of the king of kings. And if your dad owns a cattle on a thousand hills, you don't need to live in poverty. You don't need to live in poverty of spirit. You need to rise up as a child of God. 
in these last days. And I think the local church is the hope of the world. We have the answer. And when the world is failing and floundering, the church is the answer. And I think we're at the next, we're, we're actually at the next moment where in the Acts of the Apostles, the, the, the world actually began to mirror itself in the church. They began to say, well, whatever they're doing, we need to do whatever they're doing. Now, somewhere down the line, that's got, and, and we mirror ourselves in the world. And we should not mirror ourselves in the world. We do not live under the economy of a broken world. We live under the economy of heaven. We live under the economy of a kingdom that's not failing. It's not broke. It's, it's, it's prosperous and it's powerful and it's mighty. So, time's gone. Let me pray for you. Um, I, I hope you're blessed. It's a, I know it's a marathon of stuff that I've gone through. You could listen to it again. You can get the podcast or the, um, the uh, YouTube and watch it again if you better, better listen. Dixie says, I've got a face for the radio. So, um, um, he's one to talk, isn't he? Um, but... Uh, um, Listen to it again because this, this idea of getting the DNA and the essence of the kingdom and knowing what the manifesto of that kingdom is and knowing what we're supposed to do and how we're supposed to live in these last days, seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added on. Lord, would you bless your word to every heart? God, would you even now by your Holy Spirit bind every lie of the enemy that's trying to create disorder disunity, dysfunction. Lord, would you bind every lie of the enemy working in every mind right now? And would you fill that mind with hope and with love, with acceptance and grace? Thank you that we are a people loved by God and accepted by him. And so God, I pray that upon our body. And I pray over every family, over every home and over every job and every school and every whatever happens this week and every home, God, we just give it to you and ask you, Lord, just to hedge about our families right now and keep them safe this week. We pray it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Are you up for it? Come on, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's be the kingdom people that walk and rule and reign and see these kingdoms interlock. The Lord bless you. Have a great afternoon. We hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast. For more information about our church and all that we do, please visit our website at emmanuel-church.co.uk.